Welcome listeners, but take heed. We will say whatever we need to share our knowledge, thoughts, and joy, and even things that do annoy. So join us now, but be aware, we have a tendency to swear. We'll dial it back a little bit, but frankly, we don't give a shit. Welcome to For Fuck's Sake, a Harry Potter book movie compare and contrast podcast. I'm Katie, and the Marilyn Ossetique pony getting over strep throat and therefore recording through Zoom with me is Ellen. Can ponies get strep? Now I'm really curious. I, uh, um... You know what? It's not the point of this episode, so let's just fly into the Phoenix flashback. Good call. Last week, we covered the second half of Chapter 28, Snape's worst memory, and the corresponding film scenes. While Snape is away, Harry's gonna play in his branches. Lupin's wit is sharper than his teeth during a full moon. Sirius is a serious hottie, but we already knew that. James is the Hogwarts Regina George. Lily has zero time for the toxic masculinity. Wormtail is the same old tryhard he always was, apparently. And sometimes, the only thing worse than meeting your heroes is meeting your teenaged parents. During episode 169, Ding for the Thing, our Potter pondering was... What are your thoughts about the changes from book to movie of how Harry sees Snape's worst memory? Hi, Ellen and Katie. This is Ashley with this week's Potter Pondering. How do I feel about the changes the movie scene made about how Harry accesses Snape's worst memory? Well, I actually learned something this episode. I always thought that in the movie, Harry actually casted legitimates on Snape. And we all know that Harry is trash at oculancy, so obviously he would be trash at legitimacy as well. So I always thought that the movie kind of fucked this up because ain't no fucking way Harry would be able to do that shit. But the fact that he used Protego instead actually makes a lot more sense now and makes me not pissed off, actually. kind of works very well that he was able to see all that because he reflected Snape's strong spell back onto him. And the fact that we were able to see a bit of Snape's asshole side that they tried to hide a good bit of in the movie kind of makes it all right. I'm not really too mad at this now with this new information. It would have been nice to, you know, see Malfoy jeer a little bit, but he did enough for that in these damn movies. This is cool. Hey guys, it's Jackson here with my Potter Pondering. What do I think about the movie versus book versions of Snape's worst memory? Why didn't we get the full thing? Or if not the full thing, at least some of more of it. Why didn't we get Lily? Why didn't we get the actual interaction, the full interaction between James and Snape? What is with these movies and shortening stuff? Hey, this is Jessica calling in this week's Potter Pondering about the changes from the book to movie on how Harry sees Snape's memory. And I actually like and appreciate this change, which is, I'm sure, kind of maybe surprising. I don't know how everyone else thinks. But it makes me so mad when Harry just dunks his head into the pensieve. He hesitates because he knows he shouldn't do it. He knows full well that those are the memories 
he absolutely has no right to see, and Snape took them out of his mind for a reason. He tells Snape all the time that his own thoughts are private and doesn't want Snape in his head, but then he thinks it's perfectly okay for his meddling ass to dive right into Snape's mind. It serves him right that he hated what he saw, to be honest. Him diving in purposefully is so unforgettable and out of line. It's like he read his diary. Switching it up for the movie so that Harry saw it by accident eases a lot of the cringe I feel when I read this book chapter. I also have so many thoughts on the memory itself, but that's a whole other long discussion. But yeah, I like this change because it didn't make me super mad at Harry and allows you to focus on the important part of the scene, which is the memory. However, changing it and making Harry see it by accident kind of makes Snape's reaction a little irrational. Because yes, the memory was embarrassing for him, but Harry saw it accidentally. He guessed Potato to stop him from entering his own mind but didn't intend to enter Snape's. So Snape saying that the lessons are at an end after that, knowing how important it is that Harry learned to protect his mind, makes Snape seem really in the wrong. Whereas, like I said, Book Harry was, you know, a little bung bomb, and Snape has every right to want to do the lessons any longer after that. But, yeah, so, I mean, obviously I have some issues with it, but... Again, I do mostly like the change. Thanks. Bye. Hey, Alan and Katie. This is Tom. I'm going to say what I think of how they changed Snape's worst memory. Well, the only real problem I have with it is that they cut Lily out of the scenes altogether. And I've given it a lot of thought, and after several re-readings, I believe that the reason the title of the chapter is called Snape's Worst Memory is because he feels really bad about how he reacted to her. And, yeah, the pranking that James did to him was bad, but considering that Sirius told him how to get past Whopping Willow during the night of a full moon, I'm thinking the members did worse things to him and uh, magically fencing him. Sorry, I said bye. Thank you so much for your responses. Our trivia question last week was... What day and time is Harry expected in Professor McGonagall's office for career advice? Harry's career advice meeting was half past two on the Monday after the Easter holidays. Congratulations goes to Megan Slater. Woohoo! She finally cut off Mike's streak and is starting one of her own. Two weeks in a row, will she keep it going? We shall see. For now, let's just dive into the first half of Chapter 29, Career Advice, and the absolutely no corresponding film scenes because the movie hates us and they don't want us to be happy. Chapter 29, Career Advice, Part 1 It's the first day of the Easter holidays, and Hermione really wants to know why Harry doesn't have occlumency anymore. Because no matter how many times Harry repeats that Snape thinks he has the basics and can carry on alone, she doesn't think the lesson should stop until Harry is fully in control of his dreams. Harry tells her to drop it, and she does, continuing to work on creating study schedules for him and Ron, since exams are only six weeks away. 
This realization shocks Ron, since so much has been going on, but she completes the schedules and passes his over to him, letting him know that it should be fine if he follows that. He's thrilled to see that she has given him an evening off each week, but that fades when she explains that it's for Quidditch practice. Ron doesn't think there's any point since they have been playing so poorly. Hermione doesn't have a response because she's too busy looking at Harry, wondering what's wrong. When he insists that it's nothing, she brings up Cho, assuming they had another row. Harry is grateful to be able to use this as an excuse and says that they did fight about her friend Marietta. Ron speaks up to say that he doesn't blame Harry for that and goes into a rant about Marietta Edgecombe that allows Harry to dwell on what he saw in the pensive while occasionally nodding or saying, yeah, and that's right. He feels like the memory is eating him from the inside because he had been so sure his parents were good people and always disbelieved Snape's comment about his father's character. But after seeing Snape's memory, he can't be sure. He reminds himself that his mother had intervened and was a decent person, but is also confused how she and his father ever ended up together since she seemed to loathe James. He even finds himself worrying that he may have forced her into it. Thoughts of his father were once a source of comfort and inspiration for him, but now he just feels miserable. As time passes, he is able to pretend that his bad mood is due to the upcoming exams, and since most everyone else is so busy, no one really challenges this. The closest he comes to a real conversation about it is with Ginny Weasley, who joins him in the library on a Sunday evening when Quidditch practice got canceled after Jack Sloper appeared to have knocked himself out with his own bat and had to be taken to the hospital wing. She tells Harry that a package for them all arrived from her mom and hands him a chocolate egg iced with small snitches. Harry feels a lump rising to his throat and Jenny asks him if he's okay. Though he says he's fine, she points out that he seems really down lately and suggests that he just talk to Cho. Harry responds that it isn't Cho he wants to talk to, it's serious, but he knows that he can't. He takes a bite of his chocolate for something to do and Jenny eats some of her own as she thoughtfully states that she's sure they can think of some way for him to do it. Harry feels pretty hopeless about it since Umbridge is policing the fires and mail, but Ginny insists that growing up with Fred and Jord gets you thinking that anything is possible if you have enough nerve. Between her words and the chocolate, Harry actually feels a little bit of hope, until Madame Pince yells at them for eating chocolate in the library and kicks them out. As if it is emphasizing the importance of the upcoming exams, they are also bombarded with pamphlets, leaflets, and a notice about fifth years attending a career advice meeting with their head of house during the first week of summer term. Harry is expected in Professor McGonagall's office at half past two on Monday, which means he will miss most of divination. He and the other fifth years spent the last weekend of Easter break reading about all the different career options in the pamphlets and leaflets. As Harry, Ron, and Hermione discuss their different options, Fred and George join them. Fred tells Harry that Ginny mentioned he wanted to talk with Sirius, and Hermione looks up from reaching for a new pamphlet to tell Harry not to be ridiculous, with Umbridge groping around in the fires and frisking all the owls. George smiles and says he thinks they can find a way around that with a diversion. 
He mentions that they have been rather quiet on the mayhem front during the Easter holidays, so they didn't mess up their leisure time or disrupt people's studying. Hermione looks taken aback by this thoughtfulness, but also doesn't understand how a diversion helps Harry talk to Sirius. It is Harry who speaks up with the answer, quietly suggesting using Umbridge's office since her fire is not being monitored. He says that he can use the knife Sirius gave him that can open any lock, but Hermione cuts him off to ask Ron what he thinks about it. Ron says that it's up to Harry, and Fred claps him on the back calling him a true friend in Weasley, before informing them that they are thinking of doing it tomorrow just after lessons. They will set it in the East Wing somewhere to draw her away from her office, and thinks they can guarantee him 20 minutes. Ron wants to know what the diversion will be, and Fred just tells him that he will see if he trots along to Gregory the Smarmy's corridor around 5 next day. Harry awakes that next morning feeling very anxious, not only about breaking into Umbridge's office, but also because he has potions that day and will have to see Snape after the incident in his office. He lies in bed for a while, then gets up and crosses to the window and looks out over the grounds on a truly glorious morning. He sees the beech tree where his father had tormented Snape and isn't sure what Sirius could possibly say that would make up for what he saw, but is still desperate to hear of any possible mitigating factors. His attention is then captured by Hagrid limping out of the Forbidden Forest and back to his cabin. He watches as smoke begins to furl from the chimney, then turns to get ready for the day. The day that he knows is never going to be restful is made even worse by Hermione constantly trying to convince him not to do what he's planning to do, even to the point that she isn't paying attention in History of Magic leaving Ron to have to take his own notes for once. By the time they reach potions class, both Harry and Ron aren't speaking to Hermione, though she just uses their silence as a way to keep uttering warnings interrupted. Snape seems to have decided to act as though Harry is invisible, which is actually an improvement over what he's used to enduring from the potions master, and he's able to brew his invigoration draft easily. He feels he may have even scraped an E until Snape deliberately smashes his potion sample and tells him it will be another zero. Harry returns to his cauldron with the intention of filling another flask, but Hermione has already cleared it for him since she thought he was finished. He doesn't say anything and hurries out the moment the bell rings, deliberately sitting between Neville and Seamus during lunch to avoid Hermione's nagging. He's in such a bad mood that he forgets he's supposed to meet with Gonagall and runs to get there a few minutes late after Ron reminds him. He apologizes and she tells him that it's no matter, but he hears someone sniffing from the corner and turns to see Professor Umbridge sitting there with her clipboard. McGonagall tersely tells him to sit and starts up the conversation about career ideas so they can discuss what subjects he should continue in the future. She asks if he has any thoughts about it, and he mumbles in response that he thought about maybe being an Auror. McGonagall informs him that he will need top grades, with a minimum of five NEWTs and nothing under an exceeds expectations. She advises him that it's a difficult career path and that no one new has been taken on in the past three years. At this moment, Umbridge gives a tiny cough from the corner, but McGonagall just ignores her and brings up the courses Harry will have to take. 
He assumes defense against the dark arts is one, and McGonagall agrees. She starts to list off the other classes, but stops for a moment to close her eyes when Umbridge gives another slightly louder cough. She otherwise ignores this cough as well, and tells Harry to take Transfiguration and informs him that she does not accept students into her NEWT classes unless they receive at least an exceeds expectations on their OWLs. She tells him that he's averaging acceptable at the moment, so he'll need to work harder to bring that up. She also recommends that he continue charms and, to Harry's dismay, potions. She begins to mention how Snape refuses to take anyone who receives anything other than an outstanding, but is again interrupted by Umbridge coughing. This time, McGonagall curtly offers her a cough drop, but Umbridge refuses and says that she wants to make the teeniest interruption. McGonagall grits her teeth, but allows her to express that she isn't sure Potter has the temperament to be an oar. McGonagall barely acknowledges this and returns to advising Harry to bring his transfiguration and potions grades up. As she mentions that his charms in defense against the dark arts have been generally high, Umbridge coughs again. Again, McGonagall offers her a cough drop, and again she refuses and just brings up Potter's recent defense against the dark arts marks. McGonagall pulls a piece of pink parchment from Harry's folder and asks if she means that, then puts it back and continues to talk to Harry, saying how Professor Lupin thought he showed a pronounced aptitude for the subject. Forgoing the cough this time, Umbridge sweetly asks if Minerva didn't understand the note. When Professor McGonagall says that she did, Umbridge expresses confusion that she would give Potter false hope. McGonagall cuts her off to question how it's false hope when he has achieved high marks on all of his Defense Against the Dark Arts tests, and Umbridge contradicts her to point out that Harry has been receiving very poor marks in his classes with her. In response, McGonagall explains that she should have said he has achieved high marks in all Defense Against the Dark Arts tests set by a competent teacher. Umbridge angrily sits back down and begins scribbling on her clipboard, and McGonagall asks Harry if he has any questions. He asks about the character and aptitude tests the Ministry also requires, and she tells him that it's about demonstrating the ability to react well to pressure and whatnot. As she's explaining that it involves a lot more studying even after school, Umbridge coldly speaks up again to mention that the Ministry also looks into criminal records, and points out that Potter has a criminal record. McGonagall reminds her that Potter has been cleared of all charges, and Umbridge stands up to declare that Potter has no chance of becoming an Auror. McGonagall also stands and assures Harry that she will assist him in becoming an Auror if it is the last thing she does, even if she has to coach him nightly. Umbridge raises her voice to declare that the Minister of Magic will never employ Harry Potter, and McGonagall shouts back that there may be a new minister by the time Potter is ready to join. Umbridge shrieks and points her finger at McGonagall, insisting that that's what she wants, Cornelius Fudge to be replaced by Albus Dumbledore. McGonagall calls her raving, then dismisses Harry, who grabs his bag and leaves her office without looking at Umbridge. I know last week we talked about including the movie scene into this episode, since it doesn't really fit anywhere else, 
But with the way this chapter split, we decided to push discussing this short part to next week during the second half of this chapter. So we will just focus on the epic section of the book that this half of the chapter is and probably cry on the inside like a winner about it being left out of the movie. Cry on the inside like a winner. I really might cry on the outside, though. I mean, we both might. I can't even express how distressing it is that this section was left out. I know. The first half, not as distressing, because it starts on the first day of Easter holidays. Hermione is like, why don't you have occlumency anymore? And even though Harry has clearly repeated several times that Snape thinks he's got the basics down and can carry on alone, Hermione can see through bullshit and is just like, yeah, have the dream stopped. (laughs) And Harry's just like, mostly... Yeah, yeah, completely, sure, Uh uh-huh, yeah. But this just makes Hermione say that she doesn't think Snape should end the lessons until he has control over the dreams completely. And Harry's just like, drop it! (laughs) Which, to give her credit, for once, she actually kind of does. Yeah, that's quite rare for her. To be fair, she is in the middle of creating a study schedule for herself, Ron, and Harry, and it's, like, color-coded in everything in the planners that she got them. So... I'm not saying Ellen is Hermione. I'm not saying Ellen is Hermione. Hermione, when it comes to color-coding things in a planner, yes. You are so Hermione. (laughs) But their exams at this point are only six weeks away, so she's now really buckling down on getting them prepared. And Ron's like, what the fuck? Exams are six weeks away? How did that happen? And Hermione's like, what the fuck? Exams are six weeks away. How have you not noticed this? (laughs) Uh, It's Ron. It's Ron. And as he says, there has been a lot going on. There really has. I don't know how anybody in their situation could take exams seriously when they're like, okay, but there's like an evil dude out there who wants to kill us all. So maybe we don't care? And the majority of the wizarding world doesn't even know that. Yeah. So maybe who cares about exams? (laughs) Like Clearly still Hermione. Well, obviously still Hermione. It's always going to be still Hermione. I mean, come on. But... Again, to give her credit, she does give Ron a little bit of a hard time for that, but doesn't argue back when he says so much has been going on. She just finishes the schedule, passes it over to him, and says, if you stick to this, you'll be fine. Yeah. And at first, when he's looking over his color-coded schedule, he's like, oh, you gave me an evening off every week. And she's just like, yeah, that's for Quidditch practice. And he's like, oh. (laughs) What is even the point? We have as good a chance of winning as dad does at becoming minister of magic. Dude, he would have made such a great minister. Well, he certainly could not have been worse than Fudge. I think he would have been a great minister. Bringing in the muggle awareness and like solidifying relationships between wizards and muggles. And like, dude, I think he'd have been awesome. Yeah, there's a lot of good that he could have done because he is a good person. Mm -hmm. However, yes, Ron is very much correct that it was not very likely at this point in time nor is it an ambition of his either no yeah which would make it less likely that is true hermione doesn't have anything to say in response to this comment that ron makes because she's too busy wondering what's wrong with harry he says that it's nothing and she brings up cho assuming that he was upset because they had another fight she was just like i saw cho earlier and she looked pretty miserable too did y'all fight did you have a row (laughs) something wrong And Harry's just like, oh, thank God, this is the perfect excuse. Yeah, we fought (laughs) over Marietta. 
And Ron makes it even easier on him. And he's just like, I don't blame you at all. And just starts to bitch about how horrible Marietta is and all of this other stuff. And Harry just has to be like, yeah, you're right. Mm -hmm." Totally. And the Mm -hmm. entire time he's just completely submerging himself in everything he saw on the pensive. Except this time it's just not physically. Yeah. It's kind of like eating him up from the inside because he always was told and believed his parents to be good people. Well, yeah. And it made it really easy for him to just ignore Snape every time he made a comment against his father's character. But now after seeing this memory, he's just like, I don't know. My dad kind of sucked. That's got to be so tough. Oh, my God. That would be a mind fuck. I liken it to an exaggerated form of like when you find out your favorite celebrity is actually an asshole. And you're like, well, fuck, now I can't enjoy their stuff anymore. Oh, you mean he feels like how half the fandom feels now that Rowling has come out with all of her bullshit? Interesting. Hmm, I didn't even make that correlate. Hmm. But yeah, I guess now that you mention it, it is a little bit like that. Yeah. Mm, yeah. yeah, crazy. Hmm, interesting. Never meet your heroes. Never or see a memory of them through their enemy. Never follow your heroes on Twitter. That's what I'm going to go with. How about just don't be on Twitter? Yeah, you know what? I like that a lot. (laughs) Social media is like the downfall of society at this point. It is. It's so bad. But also doesn't quite exist in the wizarding world. So back to that. Yeah, they have some bigger (laughs) issues, to be fair. But, you know. Harry kind of comforts himself by remembering that his mother did intervene on Snape's behalf so she's obviously a decent person but this just stirs up more issues because now he's like how did she and my father ever end up together she hated him did he force her into it was there a love potion involved he put the imperious curse on her my entire life is a lie (laughs) I think that's where he is right now wallowing in his self-pity it's pretty understandable though because that's a huge thing for oh, him for to sure. find out as much as i'm kind of mocking him for it i feel for him too this is really tough yeah but what was once something that was a source of comfort and inspiration thinking about his parents is now just like dragging him down and it's not like this kid has a lot in life yeah he has very few bright spots in his day you know what i mean And now he's got an extra dark spot. Yeah, that's rough. On the plus side, sort of, me trying to find some kind of silver lining for Harry Potter here is that because everybody else is so obsessed over the incoming exams, he's able to just sort of pretend like that's why he's in a bad mood and nobody's really questioning him because they're all too distracted. Mm -hmm. So I don't know that that really counts as a silver lining. I mean, take what you can get. At least he's not having to have a ton of conversations about this, although it might do him some good if he did, instead of just wallowing in it. Yeah, but at the same time, you don't want to admit to other people that your parents are assholes. That's fair. That's a tough thing to come to terms with. Yeah, definitely. The closest he does get to having an actual conversation about it, and it's not at all, but it's sort of close to it, is when Ginny Weasley joins him in the library. He's there by himself because Hermione went back to the common room to work on something and Ron had Quidditch practice, which means Ginny had Quidditch practice too. So when she shows up in the library, he's just like, don't you have Quidditch practice? Yeah, fuck are you doing here? And she tells him that it got canceled because Jack Sloper appears to have knocked himself out with his own bat. Wow. So, you know, 
one more vote for Mr. Weasley becoming minister there. (laughs) (laughs) That's a whole different Yeah. So they had to take him to the hospital wing and couldn't continue on with practice. And I don't know if she was looking for Harry specifically or just maybe he was sitting in a place in the library where she happened to be able to see him. But she finds him and she's got a package that just made it through inspection from her mom for Easter. Mm -hmm. So she opens it and gives him his chocolate egg, which is iced with little tiny snitches and filled with fizzing whizbies and just actually asks him if he's okay. And of course, he says he's fine. And she's not buying this bullshit because Mm -hmm. she sees Harry. Oh, she knows what's going on. Yeah. But she doesn't actually know what's causing this particular distress. And she's probably even heard from Hermione that he's upset about Cho since that's what Harry let Hermione think. Yeah. And she just flat out says to him, you know, I'm sure if you talk to Cho, you'll be able to work this out. And Harry actually admits to her that it's not Cho he wants to talk to. He wants to talk to Sirius and knows that he can't. He has no way of writing him a letter. He can't get in the fire again. Yeah, there's nothing he can really do. I mean, do. if he just looked in the fucking package that Sirius gave him at Christmas I holidays, mean, I don't said say this is the way for you loud. to get in touch with me. I mean... If you need me, to be fair, a lot has been going on and he's clearly forgotten about it. However... But damn you, Harry! I still maintain the fact that he didn't open it like the second he got back to Hogwarts is just stupid. It was pretty stupid. It was one of those definite Harry is not in Ravenclaw moments. I think that might have been a moment where I was just like, okay, I don't know that I like this book at all. <laughs> like, How do you get a gift from one of your favorite people and you don't open it? And you desperately want to talk to them and you forget that they gave you a way to do yeah. so. Can we also just express our annoyance that when he does get to talk to him, which we'll talk about next episode, that they don't fucking remind him that they got right? that for him? Like, ugh. Right. It was just so much stupid. And I know they got cut off, but it was just so frustrating. And I get why the mirror had to be there. How was that not the first thing out of his mouth? Seriously. Why didn't you open the present I gave you? Why are you talking to me through a fireplace? Why? That doesn't make any... What? Yeah. And like we said, a lot's been going on. And I get that the mirror had to be planted there earlier on since it came into play later. Yeah. But still. Back after this book came out, there was a short spoofy fanfic that was written called A Lot to Be Upset About. And it was literally like Draco walking through the castle. And every time he sees Harry, Harry's doing something else insane. And he's like, why are you guys letting him do this? Like, that's insane. And they're just like, well, he has a lot to be upset about right now. (laughs) (laughs) And everybody literally just says that every single time Draco brings it up. And it was so funny. And so that's every time I think about it, I'm just like, he has a lot to be upset about right now. He does have a lot to be upset about right now. (laughs) And it's making him feel pretty helpless. So even though Ginny's response to him saying he wants to talk to Sirius but can't is, you know, there's probably a way we can make this happen. He's just like, I don't see how. Pepto Bitch Maw has got her nose up in the fires and is reading all of the mail. Like, how am I supposed to get a hold of him? Mm Mm-hmm. And Ginny says, you know, growing up with Fred and George gets you thinking that anything is possible if you have enough nerve. And I am pissed that they did not give Ginny a line like this in the movie. They didn't even give Ginny that thought to have. Right. Ever. Because it really Mm. shows how badass she's going to start being. 
Like it's been building up. It's been building up. This is when you're just like, oh, yeah, she is Fred and George's sister. Yeah. She's not Ron's sister. No. She's Fred and George's sister. It's almost more of like, oh, Fred and George are Ginny's brothers. Yeah. You wonder who got it from who at a certain point. Considering that they're a bit older than her. I'm sure they get a lot from her as well. Probably. Also, she's that badass. Oh, she's saying. so badass. I love Book Ginny. <laughs> the movies did her so dirty. They really did. That's some bullshit. And Bonnie Wright could have... Ah, oh, my God. Okay. Yeah, she could have done it. She could have nailed it. They didn't give it to her, but she could have. And they didn't let her, and this is frustrating. And moving on, because I can't. <laughs> but anyway, like I said, Harry's feeling pretty helpless. But between the chocolate, which Lupin always recommended that he ate when he was upset... Yeah. And Jenny's words, he actually feels a spark of hope. Mm-hmm. And it's probably the first one that he's felt in a while, at least since that Occlumency lesson that didn't happen and instead turned into the most epic scene of meddling that Harry should have never, ever, ever meddled. Yeah. That one? Oh, yeah. That yeah, one. he fucked around and found out this time. <laughs> oh, did he? But he has this little spark of hope. That probably gets instantly doused when Madame Pince starts yelling at them for eating chocolate in the library. And this part I loved because Ginny says, damn. <laughs> she just goes, oh, damn, I forgot. And I was just like, oh, she let Ginny say a swear word in a kid's book. Ginny said, damn. <laughs> well, I mean. It's so cute. I loved yeah. it. She got limited swear words in the book, but I think she gave them to the proper people. She did. Big fan. Big fan right here. But yeah, so they get kicked out of the library, and I think that that little spark is just gone mm-hmm. for now. It gets reignited. Oh, yeah. But as they're going through their Easter break, they start getting a bunch of pamphlets and leaflets and then a notice on the board in the Gryffindor common room. So you can imagine that these are all over all of the common rooms. Yeah. But it's all about fifth years attending a career advice meeting with their head of house during the first week of summer term, which starts when they get back from holidays. Uh Uh-huh. So Harry learns that he's expected in Professor McGonagall's office at half past two on Monday. Which was our trivia question. Mm Mm-hmm. That Megan got right. She did. (laughs) And this is actually kind of nice for him, even though divination's not as bad as it used to be because he does not have a teacher constantly predicting his death anymore what but he does end up getting to miss pretty much all of divination in order to go to this meeting so that's kind of cool for him yeah and then because of the preparations for these career advice meetings he and the other fifth years and probably also to a certain extent the sixth years and seventh years i imagine they keep thinking about like they have to reassess how they're doing in their classes and if they're going to be able to pursue what they wanted to and stuff like that well yeah once you get into like newts and all that stuff too yeah yeah sure but for sure they're starting this with the fifth graders because now they're going into their owls and what they get scored there is really going to start laying out their future yeah so they're all reading about the different career options outside of school and all of those pamphlets and leaflets and harry ron and hermione are sitting in the common room talking through their different options and like ron's looking at the pamphlet about being a healer and is complaining about how much they expect out of you in order to do so and Hermione's just like well duh it's a really important career yeah 
And then they're looking at banking and all of this other stuff and just talking about what they would prefer and what they don't want to do and what classes are expected. And Harry hears this voice in his ear that says, so I hear you want to talk to Sirius. And he turns to see that they've been joined by Fred and George. And Fred specifically says that Jenny told him. So she didn't forget, even if Harry had to douse his spark. Yeah. But so Harry's just like, yeah, you know, I just fancied a chat because he's still not telling people why. Yeah. And Hermione just stops reaching for a new pamphlet and is like, what are you talking about? You can't do that. We've got Pepto Bitchmog groping around in fires and frisking all the owls. Fred. <laughs> it's literally how it was worded in the book. And I had to keep I it that way. It was cracking me up. I know. That's just. That's the most amazing visual, mental visual right? ever. I it's actually just... kind of imagine Filch with one of those, like, wands. <laughs> <laughs> the security <Yeah>. wands. <laughs> I love that. I love that so much. Like, like having them hold out their wings. Right. <laughs> They're in the x-ray machine with their wings up, <laughs> legs parted. <Yes>. <laughs> oh, my God. I didn't know I needed that. I didn't. I didn't know, and now I know I need it. And it's not a thing that exists, and so I need it more. And I don't know what to do about that. I feel like that would be a fun little sketch I could try and make. I don't draw enough. I should do more drawing. Maybe if I find some time to do some drawing. Owl TSA. Yeah. TS owl. TS. Ooh, there you go. But anyway. George smiles and insists that they can find a way around that by creating a diversion. Oh, I'm sure. Yes. Yeah. Shouldn't be a big deal at all. Yeah. And he points out that they may have noticed they've been rather quiet on the mayhem during Easter holidays because why fuck up their own leisure time? And a lot of people were trying to study and they didn't want to mess that up either. You know, say what we want about Fred and George. They're not without some courtesy. Right. Mm -hmm. And this is actually why I don't really like how the movie did their fireworks scene that we haven't talked about yet. So we'll get into that a little bit more. But the book specifically states that they wouldn't do anything to disrupt people's studying. So I have a really hard time believing they would disrupt the actual exams. Yeah. I mean, granted, I will give you it was epic. But at the same time, it was epic. It just didn't work for me. Yeah. Knowing Fred and George the way we know them we do yeah it's and most of the book readers do it was out of character and i am positive we will bring this up again when we get to that scene what all right we bring things up more than once what repeat things that we say huh crazy i say repeat things that we say huh (laughs) i see what you did there (laughs) right i I think i'm funny it's like deja vu all over again It's both repetitive and redundant. (laughs) Department of Redundancy Department, how can I help you? And may I be of assistance? Yes, exactly. (laughs) Oh, good times. Ah, Anyway. Good callback. (laughs) Moving on. Yes, moving on. Hermione (laughs) is actually both a little bit shocked by his thoughtfulness over this, but can't really get past understanding how a diversion is supposed to help Harry talk to Sirius. Yeah. Like, how does that actually get him in contact with him? And it's Harry who has the answer to this because he's been obsessing over it for about two weeks now. And Mm -hmm. he just says, Umbridge's office. Her fire's not being monitored. She said so herself. Right. 
Mm-hmm. And he has the knife that Sirius gave him for Christmas last year that lets him open any lock. Oh, yeah. He's got that gift. And he remembers that one. <laughs> he's got that one locked and loaded, doesn't he? Fuck. So even if she's enchanted her office that Alohomora won't unlock the door, he can use this knife to do so. Yeah. And as he's trying to explain this to Hermione, she's just like, this is a terrible idea, Ronald. What do you think? And Ron's just like, oh, I don't know. I don't know. It's up to Harry. How funny would it be, though, if Hermione was like, isn't there something else you could use? Something. There must be a different way somehow. And then he was like, nope, no, no other way. Nope, not at all. This is both an obnoxious plot device and an obnoxious 15-year-old boy thing. And an irritating plot hole. I mean, I don't think it's a plot hole. I think he legitimately forgot about it. And I think that teenage boys do things like that. But it's really fucking obnoxious. Yes. I can't tell you the number of times I've had to ask my middle schoolers, do you have your device? Yeah, but it's dead. Well, where's the charger? I left it at home. Okay, well, can you see how that's not helpful right now? (laughs) Right. Like, they just don't think about things like that. They're not thinking with their brains. It's all hormones at that age. On top of that, he has a lot going on. He has a lot to be upset about right now. He just does. There's a lot going on right now. (laughs) But when Ron says that it's up to Harry, Fred just like pats him on the back and he's like, spoken like a true friend in Weasley. (laughs) (laughs) And I love the twins Mm -hmm. so much. But then he says that they're thinking of doing it tomorrow because now that the term's starting back up, it is back to business and it's time for some more mayhem. But they're going to wait till just after lessons. They're not going to disrupt the day. They're going to go for evening. And he says that they'll set it in the East Wing somewhere so they can get her as far away from her office as possible. And that he thinks it'll guarantee Harry 20 minutes. Mm -hmm. And Ron says, what's the diversion going to be? And Fred's just like, well, you'll see tomorrow around five o'clock if you head along to Gregory the Smarmy's corridor. Ron, I do believe this is where you're going to need some plausible deniability. Yes. You don't need to know yeah. ahead of time. Yeah, not at all. Oh, and I know we already know what's coming, but I can't believe the movie didn't give us this either. Rude. We'll get there. Anyway, that next morning, Harry wakes up feeling so anxious. It's actually pretty similar to how he felt the morning of his trial back in the summertime. Mm-hmm. And it's not just about breaking into Pepto Bitchmall's office. It's also because... This will be the first time that he has to face Snape after meddling where he ought not to have meddled. Yes. But he has potions that day, so not really a way to avoid seeing him. Yeah. That's kind of not really a choice. Yeah. And that is pretty nerve-inducing. I get it. Oh, yeah. Definitely. I also get that it makes him lie around in bed for a while before he can actually get himself up, because who hasn't been there? <laughs> Every day. Right? Every goddamn day, Harry. And then he does finally get up, but he crosses over to the window that's right near Neville's bed and looks out that first. And it is like this beautiful day outside that is not matching Harry's mood in any way, shape or form. Because mm-hmm. he's just looking out there and staring at the beech tree that he saw his dad torture Snape under. And then he gets distracted by seeing Hagrid come limping out of the Forbidden Forest. And he just like limps his way back to his cabin and goes in and closes the door, and he just sort of watches for a while, concerned about Hagrid's health. Sure. But then the fire starts up, and he figures Hagrid can't be that bad if he's well enough to tend to the fire. So he just, like, turns away from the window and starts getting ready for the day. Mm-hmm. 
and he doesn't really know what Sirius could possibly say to make this all better, but he just needs another side to the story. And there is a part of him that's kind of hoping there are mitigating factors that could have led to his dad treating Snape like this. Well, yeah, you want to be in your own parents' corner. Right. You still want to be like, well, that's, there had to have been, this is, I, what, I, but, like, you don't care. You want. That's literally got to be what Harry's brain sounds like in this moment. Like, you don't care what it is. Like, maybe he had brain fever at the time. Did he have brain fever at the time? Could it have been brain fever? Please tell me something that makes me feel better about this dog father. Yeah. Did Snape start it, maybe? That I didn't see? Maybe it was before that? Maybe it was oh, before the exam? Did Snape snaped, right? He di- I know he snaped. He had to have snaped. He snapes all the time. Like, why wouldn't he have snaped this time, right? 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 He totally snaped. That's got to be what it is. He had please, to have please tell me. Yeah. So he knows that this day isn't going to be remotely restful. This no. is going to be a stressful day. But what he wasn't counting on was that being made worse by Hermione Basically spending the entire day trying to talk Harry out of doing what he's going to do. Harry, no. Harry, no. Harry, yes. Uh Uh-huh. But Harry, no. But Harry, yes. Yes. And it's to the point she's so focused on trying to dissuade Harry from this that she's not even paying attention in History of Magic. And Ron's just sitting there like... What the fuck? How are we supposed to do well in this class if you're not taking notes? And she says, you can take notes for once. Maybe don't rely on me. I'm just throwing that out there. But by the time they get to potions class, neither Harry or Ron are talking to Hermione. Well, she stopped taking notes. Right? And if you thought that this would make things better for Harry, you are incorrect. Because Hermione just uses their silence as a way to keep uttering her warnings now uninterrupted but she's doing it in this very low hiss so that Mm. she's not overheard by other people around that Seamus who is sitting nearest to them hears this hissing sound and thinks his cauldron is leaking and keeps stopping what he's doing to check it (laughs) and I just love that little visual I might be Seamus because I think that would be me (laughs) you are a blend between Ron and Seamus I am I like to blow shit up and say bloody shameled Ramus. Ramus. I'm Ramus. Ronmus. But anyway, since Harry has so much going on right now to be upset about, let's look for another silver lining piece. Sure. And that is that Snape's decided tactic of dealing with Harry being in his presence is to just pretend as though he is invisible, which Harry is both used to from his Uncle Vernon. Mm-hmm. And it's actually a significant improvement over how Snape normally treats him. It's a little bit like the no news is good news deal. Yeah. Like, no torment is good torment. Right? Yeah. So he is able to just focus on making his potion, which is an invigoration draft. Mm -hmm. And it does so so easily without being tormented by Snape that he thinks it's entirely possible he got and exceeds expectations on it. And he puts it in the flask and takes it up and turns it in. And as he's walking back to his desk, he hears a smash. And Nazi von Douchebag II laughs as Harry turns around and sees that Snape has deliberately broken his vial of potions and says, whoops, guess it's another zero then. (sighs) And he just charges his way back to his cauldron with the intention of filling up a second flask to force him to grade that one so he doesn't get another zero. Mm -hmm. But Hermione has already cleared it out for him because she thought he was done. Of course. Which, I mean, technically he was. Yeah. 
And I don't know if she regularly helps clean up after the boys at the end of class or anything like like that at all. Or this was her trying to be nice because she knew he was upset. Either way, it didn't end up being something nice. And Harry's pretty mad. So he just leaves without saying a word. Yeah. And then chooses to sit between Neville and Seamus during lunch so he can avoid Hermione and her nagging a little bit better. Understandable, really. Yeah. But at this point, his mood has gotten so bad that he's actually completely forgotten that he's supposed to meet with McGonagall for his career advice meeting. That it's not until Ron's like, hey, why aren't you in McGonagall's office that he's like, fuck me, and just (laughs) runs there and still ends up being a few minutes late. But he charges into her office. He probably knocks and gets permitted to enter first. But he comes in and he's like, I'm so sorry. I completely forgot. And she's just like, whatever. It's fine. Sit down. But... He hears a sniff in the corner Hmm. and he turns to see Pepto Bitchmall sitting there with her fucking clipboard. I mean, better than a hem hem. I guess. I mean, that happens too. Well, yes. But at this point. And I kind of wonder if she is only there for Harry's meeting or if she was doing this for all of the meetings of the kids she found concerning. I could see it being that she was there for the DA. That's entirely possible. Yeah. You know, keeping an eye on the riffraff and whatnot. Yep. But basically, aside from looking at her and seeing her in the corner, both him and McGonagall just completely ignore her. And McGonagall starts up the meeting, says they're there to talk about different career ideas so they can discuss what subjects he needs to keep taking from there to to pursue said career options. Mm -hmm. So she wants to know if he has any thoughts about it. And the only thing that he's ever considered doing, be it at the suggestion of a murder muncher, But his only real thought was to become an Auror. Yeah. So he kind of mumbles that to McGonagall, who just says, well, you're going to need top grades. It's a minimum of five NEWTs. Mm -hmm. Nothing can be under an exceeds expectation grade because an acceptable is still considered an NEWT. Yeah. However, it has to be a minimum of five exceeds expectations or up on newts to get into that career Some A++ pluses going on yeah definitely she lets him know that it's really difficult and they haven't taken on anyone new in the past three years mm-hmm. and then they're interrupted by the him him i kind of really wish that harry's response to that though had been like well but yeah but i'm, I'm harry potter and i don't know that he was cocky enough at this point to say that because being <laughs> harry potter has not been good for him this year that is true but also i don't think he would want to be an or in the current regime if you will yeah, he just didn't have any other thoughts at this point. That was it. Like, the only thing I've ever considered doing is being an Auror. Yeah. But anyway, Umbridge hem-hems from the corner. Of course she does. And McGonagall again just ignores her and continues to talk about the different courses that Harry would have to take to be an Auror. And he obviously and rightfully assumes that Defense Against Dark Arts is going to be one of them, which he's right. McGonagall's like, naturally. Yeah. And then she starts to tell him what the other classes are. But Pepto Bitch Mall gives another slightly louder him him. And other than closing her eyes for a brief moment, she does continue to just ignore this cough. I can see Maggie Smith doing this. I know. And we should have actually gotten to see her do this. I know. It's so upsetting. This entire scene would have been phenomenal. Oh, my goodness. It would have been glorious. Well, the tears on the inside, like a winner have started. <laughs> but other than closing her eyes, she ignores this cough as well and just tells Harry that he should take transfiguration. 
She also lets him know that she does not accept students into her NEWT level classes unless they've received at least an exceeds expectations on their OWLs. He's basically averaging acceptable at the moment, so he's got to put in some good work to bring that up. Yeah. She tells him that he should continue charms, which he's been doing pretty well in already, and then to his dismay, potions. Which is fair. I mean, potions are very important to an aura, but it still sucks. Yeah. And to make it even worse is that Snape refuses to take anybody who's received anything lower than an outstanding, which is the top grade. Yeah. Yeah. He wants the A plus plus classes. classes. Yeah. He will only take the best of the best. Which is fair. I mean. And it probably minimizes the classes that he has to teach at the higher levels. (laughs) Exactly. Before she can say anything else about the whole situation with how Harry's doing in potions and him needing to get an outstanding. She is interrupted by another Pepto bitch mall. <laughs> this one is even louder and it's just to the point where she can't ignore it anymore. So she very curtly says, do you need a cough drop Dolores? <laughs> <laughs> Which Pepto bitch mall says she doesn't and just asks if she might be able to make the teeniest interruption and, McGonagall's like gritting her teeth. I dare say you'll find that you can. I was going to say, would it matter if McGonagall said no? And her teeny little interruption was to wonder if Potter has the temperament to be an Auror. Well, you have the temperament to be a cunt, so we can all do anything we want, I guess. Right. McGonagall barely gives this any acknowledgement beyond, oh, that's what you think, huh? And just goes right back to telling Harry that he needs to get his transfiguration and potion grades up if he wants to do this. Mm -hmm. She says that his charms has been doing pretty well and his defense against the dark arts grades have been generally high. Which, would you know, this prompts another hem-hem from Pepto Bitch Mall? What? That's crazy talk. She never does that more than 17 times in a five-minute period. What? McGonagall wants to know if she's sure she doesn't need that cough drop. She insists that she doesn't and just asks if McGonagall saw her note about Potter's recent defense against the dark arts marks. Hmm. And McGonagall pulls out a piece of pink parchment from Harry's folder and just like looks at it with disgust and is like, is this what you mean? And like... (laughs) Bitch Maul nods and she literally just puts it back in the folder and keeps on talking to Harry about how Professor Lupin thought he showed a pronounced aptitude for the subject. <laughs> oh, God. And Pepto Bitch Maul is so pissed at this point that she's actually forgetting to cough, for one thing, but still doing that really obnoxious sweet voice thing where she wants to know if Minerva didn't understand the note. Bitch. <laughs> And of course, McGonagall's just like, yeah, I understood the note. Like, why would you think I didn't understand the note? Yeah. So Bitch Mall says, I'm just wondering why you would give Potter false hope. Uh, what? False hope? Huh? Like, Mm how is it false hope when he's achieved high marks on all of his defense against the dark arts tests, which Pepto Bitch Mall contradicts by pointing out that Harry has been receiving very poor marks in his classes with her. Ready? Ready? Here it comes. Here it comes, though. This is one of the best fucking lines of the entire series. Here it comes. It's coming up now, guys. Guys, pay attention. Ready? I'm sorry. 
I should have said that he has achieved high marks in all defense against the dark arts tests set by a competent teacher. Oh! Bam! Oh, oh she went for the jugular. She, I love oh it. God. I love it so much. My favorite part about this, she considers Lockhart a more competent teacher than Umbridge. Based on that sentence. <laughs> and I love that to so be much. Fair. He was. <laughs> they at least learned how to deal with pixies with him. That's that's very true. <laughs> they got to do some actual magic. I mean, they did learn a lot. It was just mostly like what not to do. He taught Harry Expelliarmus, and that fucking saved his life multiple true. times. That is very true. <laughs> I mean he didn't directly teach it to him. Harry's just you know, has an aptitude for defense sure, against the dark arts. Yeah. And he saw it happen and was able to do it. Yeah. But yeah. Oh my goodness. I love it so much. I can't believe this wasn't included. I love it so much. I can't believe that somebody read this chapter when writing the script for the movie and didn't immediately think, well, obviously we have to have Maggie Smith do this. Right? This is literally Maggie Smith's entire personality and meaning in life. Why would we not have her do this? Especially with what they did give us. It took away the epic badass power that McGonagall had. Yeah. They made it look like she stepped down. Well, we've talked about that before. To Pepto Bitch Mall. When she fucking got in her face and said it. She said it. Yeah. She called her incompetent. Yeah. To her face. Yup. Because McGonagall gives zero fucks. And I love it. It was amazing. I am absolutely here for the lack of fucks that McGonagall gives. I know. And it needed to be part of this. Yes, it really did. Even if they didn't do this specific scene, if they had given her just the essence of this when they were on the stairs instead of what they did give us. Something. I wouldn't have been as upset. Yeah. But the fact that they took this scene away from the story yeah. and made it seem like Pepto Bitchmall had the upper hand on them. Yeah. All she had was a fucked up ministry support. She didn't have any real actual power. Oh, she didn't have over shit. Them. She had zero. She had a bunch of fucking decrees mm-hmm. that in the end didn't matter at all. Yeah. She had zero control. She had some fancy pieces of paper and that's it. She thought she had order, but obviously had to scream for it. I will have order. She had nothing. Yeah. And in the movie, they made it look like she was winning at every turn. Yeah. It's so frustrating. I mean, when you put it like that, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) When you go ahead and you, like, inject the truth into things, yeah, okay. That's frustrating. You can't handle the truth. Sometimes I can't. (laughs) Sometimes Sometimes some people can't. It happens. We all are in different places. Yeah. Pepto Bitch Mall clearly can't handle the truth because she has nothing to say. She just angrily sits down. Actually, she probably has a lot to say and just can't say it out loud. So she just angrily sits back down and just starts scribbling all over her fucking pink clipboard. Right. I imagine the thought in her head being a Draco Malfoy type voice going, the minister will hear about this. Absolutely. That is what was going through her head. (laughs) Mm -hmm. She was writing out the notes for exactly how to word the next decree that tries to cut Minerva McGonagall off at the kneecaps. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's exactly what she was doing, man. And then McGonagall being McGonagall just asks Harry if he has any questions. She doesn't give a fuck. 
Gives zero fucks. Still no fucks. I love it. He wants to know about the character and aptitude tests that the ministry requires. After all of those grades, he still has kind of more schooling to do. And she explains that he has to demonstrate the ability to react well under pressure and different things like that. He's just like, I've been doing that all this time. Yeah. And she's also telling him that it involves a lot more studying even after school. So he's got to be prepared for that. And if he doesn't think he can handle that, this might not be the career for him. But she doesn't actually get through that sentence because Pepto Bitchmall stands up again to say that the ministry also looks into criminal records and says Potter has a criminal record. (laughs) (laughs) Bitch. Come on. Grasping at straws, though. Yeah. No, it's just so funny. She just, like, keeps trying to insist that Harry has about as good a chance of becoming an Auror as Dumbledore has is returning to the school. So McGonagall's just like, a oh, very good chance then. And she's yes. like, she's not phased by anything that is being said by Pepto-Bitchmall until she gets to this part about the criminal record. Mm-hmm. And she's like, Potter's been cleared of all charges. And that's when Pepto-Bitchmall just flat out says he has no chance. Before she was making those comparisons that mm-hmm. McGonagall could kind of shoot down. This time it was no chance. Yeah. And she just stands up. No chance. <laughs> She's just done. And McGonagall also stands up and says to Harry, I will assist you in becoming an or if it is the last thing that I do, even if I have to coach you nightly to do it. And I, I love, love the fact that she's doing this to help Harry just as much as she's doing this to spite Pepto Bitch. Oh, yeah. Oh, definitely. Maybe Honestly. a little bit more so to yeah. spite Pepto Bitch Mall. I don't know how much she actually cares about Harry becoming an Auror. <laughs> I kind of want to follow up on that, like, of McGonagall trying to teach Harry something and he's just not getting it and he's just not getting it. And she's just like, do I really care about showing up Dolores this much? Do I... <laughs> And it's like, yes, yes, I do. Yes, 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 I do. I will stick with this. Yes. (laughs) I would love to be a fly on the wall or read a Skeeter in beetle form on the wall. Sure. In the staff room when McGonagall talks about this with Harry's other teachers that aren't Pepto Bitch Ball. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. I'm sure the conversation was quite amusing indeed. Oh, yeah. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. And not to necessarily this extent, but probably they also have things to share. Oh, yeah, for sure. And you know that they're going to be like, uh, we'll help you coach him. This yeah. will be fine. We will fudge mm-hmm. his grades if we have to. <laughs> right. <laughs> I like that you said fudge because corny fudge. Corny fudge. It's... We will corny fudge his grades. <laughs> we will corny fudge his grades. But not wanting to be shown up, Pepto Bitch Mall raises her voice to talk over McGonagall saying that the Minister of Magic will never employ Harry Potter and McGonagall shouts back that there might be a new Minister of Magic by the time Potter's ready to join and Pepto Bitchmall just loses her shit points her finger at McGonagall and says that's it! That's what you want! You want Cornelius Fudge to be replaced by Albus Dumbledore! You've just admitted it! And Oh my goodness. I mean except for the part where I didn't. Right. But okay. Yeah, McGonagall just says, you're a raving lunatic, and tells Harry that this concludes their meeting. So he just grabs his bag, throws it over his shoulder, and runs out without looking at Umbridge at all. Yeah. He's like, I'm getting the fuck out of this. And that is where we're going to cut off this chapter. How could we possibly talk about anything else in this episode after, I'm sorry, I should have said that he's doing well in Defense Against the Dark Arts on every test placed by a competent teacher. Oh my god. 
He j- oh. If I didn't already love Minerva McGonagall, this was the moment that I fell in love with her even harder. She is such a boss bitch, and I love it. I love it so much. Like, I aspire to be McGonagall as a teacher. Yeah. I she's think strict. every teacher should, honestly. She's caring. She's competent. Mm-hmm. Intelligent. Badass. Patient. But also doesn't take shit. She is a truly perfect balance in yeah. a teacher, honestly. And I feel like overall I'm a very good teacher, but I do not quite have the balance down yet. That's a hard one to pin down. So mm-hmm. it's no fault of yours, really, honestly. Sometimes I wonder if McGonagall is human. She's so phenomenal. But she's also a lot older than me, but in fictional, you know. I was just, <laughs> <laughs> just going to say that, but thank you for beating me to the punch on that one. She's also not entirely real, honey. Doesn't mean I can't aspire to be her. I didn't say that, sweetheart. <laughs> you go and you be McGonagall. But yeah, so this is where we're ending this book chapter. Yep. And we will pick up with the back less than half next week. And since there were no movie scenes, grumble, 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 grumble. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we're going to go ahead and we're just moving right on to the Potter Pondering. So that I don't, like, Hulk smash my entire room right now. Thinking about the lack of movie scenes. She already did it to her computer screen. So. I did. <laughs> I was like, oh, fuck this. Yeah, it was a thing. My bad. Or maybe it was an accident, but you know. We are talking about this specific chapter, so either one is a very viable option. <laughs> Just It saying. was an accident, but it was kind of cathartic. It was... <laughs> It may have been on accident, but that doesn't mean it didn't feel good. Mm -hmm. That sounded dirty. I am sorry. Except that I'm not sorry at all. Moving on. Potter pondering. The Potter pondering this week is actually a twofer. Because we do like those occasionally. We want to know what your thoughts on this entire section being left out of the movie. And we want to know what career you would want to hold in the wizarding world. Yep. Definitely. I like that. Yeah. I would be a professor. Who's surprised? What? You? Actually, I would try to find a way to create some sort of magical arts course. I'd be like the next Florian Fortescue. Yes. I would eat your ice cream. Mm-hmm. I'd be like a wizarding baker, I think. So, yeah, I like it. Find the post on our Facebook page and share your thoughts. Or call us at 216-526-6792 and leave your response as a voicemail. Make sure you start off telling us your name and then go into your answer. Don't forget, you can also stitch your response on TikTok. We really look forward to reading, hearing, and seeing them. But now we are moving on to our Sorting Hat story, which is from Savion Powers. He writes, I'm Savion Powers and I'm a Ravenclaw. My wand is black walnut with a dragon heartstring core, ten and a quarter inches and hard flexibility. I hated Harry Potter before I read it, but then I was at camp at nine years old and my counselor read the first chapter to me and I was hooked. When Deathly Hallows came out, I waited with my mom till midnight. Now I'm 30 and I'm getting my kids to love it too. They're even at the same camp that I go to now. (gasps) Aw, that's so cute. Thank you so much for sharing your Sorting Hat story with us, Savion. Yes, thank you. And if any of you other keepers out there listening would like us to read your Sorting Hat story on a future episode, you can email it to us at forfoxsakepodcast at gmail.com. 
Let us know your house, wand, Patronus, how you got into Harry Potter, and anything else you might want to share with us. Or you can message it to us over social media. This week's trivia question is, who is in the kitchen when Harry's head appears in the fire to talk to Sirius? The first one who responds with the correct answer and the code word hashtag fancy to chat will get a sticker. Another way to get a sticker is to rate and review us through iTunes or Facebook. Make sure to email us at forfoxsakepodcast at gmail.com to let us know you did, and we will get back to you to figure out which sticker you want and where to send it. Don't forget to find us and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at foxsakepod. Following us on Podbean at foxsakepod.podbean.com will get you the episode as early as possible and give you a leg up in answering the trivia question. You can also go to our website at forfoxsakepodcast.com to check out our For Fox Sake and Harry Potter related merchandise for sale. Don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel where we post our weekly podcast episodes, cooking show episodes, vlogs, bloopers, and other random videos. If you would like to support us as a patron, you can sign up on patreon.com slash foxsakepod. $2 and up a month will get you some awesome perks like For Fox Sake swag, access to patron-only Facebook groups, chats, our Discord channel, virtual hangouts, and more. As always, any support you can give is greatly appreciated, even if it's just telling your Harry Potter friends about us. And if you don't have any Harry Potter friends, there's another reason to join our Patreon, because you will meet some of the best Harry Potter people ever. I mean, just the best people ever, really. There's that too. Period. End of sentence. And join us next week when we talk about the second half of Chapter 29, Career Advice, and the film scenes that don't really correspond or fit in anywhere else that we were going to talk about during this episode but decided to push it back a week. Thanks for listening. We hope you hear us again. I'm Katie. I'm Ellen. And in the meantime... Keep calm and Harry on! Oh, for fuck's sake. Oh, for fuck's sake.